You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies. Shop Around the Corner edition. You know what we do in the Shop Around the Corner edition, Ben? I... Do we look around the corner? Yeah. Into the shop? Into the shop. Buddy, I knew it. And I hope it's a Blu-ray store and they include a copy in their inventory of uh, Ernst Lubitsch's Shop Around the Corner. Wow. The film we're going to be talking about today. I hope they do. The Christmas Classic starring Jimmy Stewart. We're we're supposed to watch You've Got Mail. (sighs) Jake, Jake, Jake. Ebenezer Jake. What? I don't... (laughs) Keep moving. Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. About this couple, they're like pen pals and stuff and... We do not speak the They hate each other in real life, but they love each other in their fantasy life. You've got mail. You had to... I guess that's the elephant in the room. We shop around the corner based on you've got mail. (laughs) You've almost got it, Jake. (laughs) Keep going. Well, folks. So close. We're going to try and recover from this. We're going to try hard. My name is Nathan. I'm your Christmas hero, really. (laughs) What else would I be? I don't know. You seem a little grinchy after Jake brought up you've got mail. It's not grinchy to react against a Grinch being a Grinch. It doesn't make you a Grinch when you... What? Who's being a Grinch? Grinch? Your heart was two sizes too small. What are you talking about? No. I saw... I went and saw the great Christmas classic, You've Got Mail, because I thought that's what we were talking about. You you described it as a... I mean, the way you described it was unmistakable what you were talking about. Yeah, I guess I did say, watch the movie about the two people that are communicating and don't know who the other person is and fall That's in right. love in one form of communication, but then in real life, they don't like each other. Yeah, starring one of the greatest actors of all time. And a, just a beloved citizen of planet Earth. Yeah, opposite. Absolutely. <sighs> uh, a beloved leading lady in her own right, especially in rom-coms. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, sounds like you've got mail. Not obviously a... wasn't Sleepless in Seattle. <sighs> right. No. I, mean, I don't like Sleepless in Seattle. I've never seen Sleepless in Seattle. I'm not Sleepless a huge fan Seattle. of Sleepless in Seattle. I do like You've Got Mail, actually. But Me too. Sleepless in Seattle is a dumb conceit because they can't meet until the very end. It's it's a movie that's it's at its core. It's It's got a bad engine because the two characters can't get together until... Hmm. The, like They don't even have a meet cute. Like they, they, they literally don't share any she screen time. She picks up the, the bag and... They go back up to the top and then they have it and that's it. Yeah, but they needed a first act together. Anyway, guys, we are talking about Shop Around the Corner. Let me me introduce us and we'll see if we can recover from this nonsense that Jake's brought in with this you've got mail stuff. You've got mail. AOL thing back in the day. Uh Hey, I am Nathan. I am. We we have established that I am. I appreciate that sound effect. I'm not a Grinch. I'm your Christmas hero. You're wearing green. You got me. All right. I I am the Grinch. (laughs) And I'm going to be doing zany shtick like Jim Carrey today. It's going to be hilarious. I saw the Grinch opening, the Jim Carrey Grinch. This is a total tangent. The one and only tangent that there will be in this podcast today. And I will introduce the other two guys, but. I just wanted to say I saw the Jim Carrey Grinch in the theater on wow. opening day with cool. my, with my cool. mother. Oh. And we tried to get people to sing the song, if I'm remembering right. No way. This this seems like 
something I made up. Maybe maybe we just talked about it or something, or maybe I just thought, wouldn't that be dumb if we? And I it amused me to think about the. But the way that I remember it is that nobody wanted to sing. Like he started singing the like you're uh, a mean one, Mister Grinch. Like along with the thing. Not along with the thing. Just like as to get the audience riled up at the at the start at the start. Oh, okay. I thought you're okay. But uh, then nobody went along with it. Nobody went along with it. That How moved, old would you have been at this time? I don't know. A teenager, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I guess me and my mom just needed to go on a mom-son date or something like that. And I think maybe we were old Grinch Grinch friends. Like, she, she read me the book when I was a kid. I don't know. That was a very demoralizing experience to sit through that Jim Carrey. It was awful. I saw it in theaters, too, I think, for some reason. Yeah. Well, it was big. I mean, it was a Ron Howard joint. It was... Big budget. Big budget. Relatively right. I mean... And a beloved children's classic. I mean, I, I wanted it to be good. And, and it seemed like a good meeting of... In retrospect, it seems stupid. But at the time, it's like you get the world's biggest comedy star to play a beloved cartoon character. Seems seemed like maybe... Like getting Michael Myers to do Cat in the Hat. Like getting Michael Myers to get do Cat in the Hat. Yes, it was right up. Anyway, yeah, that was demoralizing. But I remember all the audience was like fat and stuffing popcorn in their mouths and laughing at all Jim Carrey's stuff. And he does have a lot of funny lines in that movie. But anyway, that's who I am. That's I think that's why I'm your Christmas hero, folks. <laughs> because I sat through, I, I sat through the Grinch. Not for many you. could. Not many. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people could. That movie made a lot of money. Oh. It's still in, in a I way. I don't know that I've seen it all the way through. It's, it's, I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there. I've never wanted to see that movie. What year did that come out? That is a wonderful question. I cannot remember. Yeah, it's interesting to try and place it <coughs> in the timeline of my life. Yeah, 2000. That makes total sense. 2000. So I would have been 16 and you would have been like 14. Yeah, something. 15. Yeah, that, that, makes, that makes total sense. So 9 11 hadn't happened yet. You don't make Jim Carrey's Grinch in a post nine eleven world, do you? You, you? you need you need everybody to be like fat and complacent, and the economy has to be booming, and we all just think we deserve a terrible callow Grinch movie. But that America is dead and dead, dead, dead. Benedict Cumberbatch plays the Grinch now. Yeah, I watched that one at a I youth group thing. That. It was pretty okay. It's just, I don't know. I don't understand why they hire Benedict Cumberbatch. To not to do his... Do like a flat American accent. Yeah, why would you do that? Here's a guy with the most rich, resonant... I mean, the, the thing that makes Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch is his rich, resonant, deep British voice. And yep. you're going to pay him lots of money to do voiceover, of all things. And yep. then you're going to... Yeah. Anyway, folks, we're going to talk about Shop Around the Corner. It's going to be great. You got me, your Christmas hero. You've got Ben. Speaking of great, we just said something was great. Well, Ben is great. He is your great Christmas friend. There we go. And uh, Ben. Dear friend. Dear friend. Yes. Why don't you introduce the third person? Tell us what his Christmas qualifications are. He's also great. He's, man, I don't know what to say besides something like the pastor who's a master of Christmas. Mm -hmm. But maybe Mm -hmm. that's what I should say. He's Jake Menzel, the pastor who's a master of Christmas. You've got a Christmas hero, a Christmas friend, and a Christmas Christmas pastor. (laughs) Yes. Christmas pastor. (laughs) Right. I thought you were going to say master, but, you know, I'm just the pastor of Christmas. No, Jake Jake does only preach one sermon a year, and it is on December 25th. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's Sunday or not. If you want to be a part of our church and hear me preach, 
You got to find me on December 25th while I'm preaching. It can be hard to do. It can be hard to do. Yeah. You got to go to his house. He's usually in his robe. It's it's, it's really pretty creepy and uh, <laughs> I don't remi- recommend it. Well, folks, we are talking without any further ado about the classic Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie. Everyone's favorite Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie. You've got mail. You've got mail. The Shop Around the Corner, a movie that doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same <laughs> breath with You've Got Mail. I said that wrong. Strike that. <laughs> Reverse it. <laughs> You've Got Mail is just fine. It's very cute. But it's not a, a masterpiece of cinematic construction like Shop Around the Corner is. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor does it have the Christmas charm. Are you taking it that far? I mean, I think it's cute. I think it's pretty great. You've Got Mail? But you, No, 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 no. Is Shop Around the Corner a masterpiece of cinematic construction? I uh, might be prepared to go that far. I don't know. I guess we have to litigate it. Sounds like we might have an actual Grinch in our midst. Oh, no. No, I, I think it's cute and fun and sweet and a great little Christmas movie. I just didn't know we were prepared to call it a masterpiece of cinematic construction. That's well, you're, you're coming with the diminutives here. Cute, fun. Cute. It's, it's, you're giving it a pat on the head, kind of. <laughs> well, here, boy. Come here, shop around the corner. Aww. <laughs> Don't you think it's cute and sweet? I do think it's cute and sweet. I might be prepared to laud it as as more of a masterpiece than that. Mm-hmm. I might, I, I might as well. I think there is an element that keeps it from being a top tier masterpiece. That's a reason why it's not like on repeat on all the classic movie channels around Christmas time or ever really right. And it's not that it's just some missed underappreciated classic. No, I mean I. I know you well. There's only one way to discuss this, and that's to discuss it. Discuss it. So, All right, let's go. Let's, let's figure it out. All right. So, little context on this movie. This movie is by everybody's favorite director, Ernst Lubitsch. Ben, you big uh, Lubitsch. I I realized I've never seen anything else by Lubitsch. I don't think aside from this movie. I I remember looking him up and reading about him. Not. Recently, but last time I saw Shop Around the Corner. Well, if you had seen anything by him, so, you would have seen Trouble in Paradise or yeah, Ninochka. Yeah. Or right. To Be or Not to Be. No, nothing. Or Heaven Can Wait. Nope, nope, nope. Jake. Some of those names I knew, but. You no. Big Lubitsch guy? Nope. Lubitsch is one of those guys that if you like movies, you've. And you study classic cinema or watch TCM all the time. I've seen the remake of Heaven Can Wait. Yeah. That's Although, unfortunate. actually, you haven't because you've seen the remake of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which is titled Heaven Can Wait. Oh. Whereas the Lubitsch movie is actually its own thing that's wasn't remade. Hmm. But it is a film blanc where a guy goes to heaven and huh. he's either going to get into hell or heaven and he has to prove himself with the bureaucratic gatekeepers as one always does in these sorts of heavenly... Huh. Uh, all right. I'm just going to stake my yeah. uh, my claim okay. right, right here and right now. The thing that separates this movie from being a top-tier, all-time, 100% classic is Margaret Sullivan. Yes. The end. Mm. I, would, Period. I, would, I would agree with that. She lacks a certain... Je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. If you had Donna Reed in there, for instance, not that it had to be her, but right. Jimmy Stewart opposite, you know, okay. like, But if you had somebody... In there that just brought a little bit more. Someone that you liked a little more. Yep. Yeah. Somebody that you were like, that you could like, oh, yeah, I like her. She's, 
she's just not that likable of that, that, actress, that's... character, whatever. You're not really rooting for her and Jimmy Stewart to get... Mm-hmm. You're rooting for Jimmy Stewart to get whatever he wants in the end and yeah, to win. that's right. Right, but you're not rooting for her, and you're not rooting for her and him. It, it It's bad that you feel like, wait a minute, do you really want her to be Jimmy Stewart's gal? Yeah. Right. Right? You, like, you, why does he like her again? Yeah. When's the other girl going to come who's actually awesome? Right. You know, when the movie first starts or something like that, right? Or if you don't know, if you haven't seen it, you don't know how it works. Yeah, that was what I was referring to when I said there's a somewhat fatal flaw that keeps us from being a top tier classic is... On the other hand, I'm prepared to argue that the movie doesn't work as well with the Donna Reed or something like that. Because you need someone who's kind of unpleasant for him to decide, actually, you know what? I'm going to win you. I'm going to make you my girl. Yeah, you need it to be a little bit of the taming of the shrew thing and you need it to be... Yeah, so Donna Reed's the wrong choice, but there are, are plenty of of women that work that way. I mean, if you had a I Hepburn mean, or somebody... I was going to say, if Catherine Hepburn can pull it off, like... She's not likable, yeah. but she pulls off that Taming of the Shrew type of thing in a really awesome way. And yeah, no, I agree. Although Hepburn might overpower the material and Yeah, okay, you... but th- that's not the point. The point is point is, yeah, she does have to be somebody that can be credibly not like and not want to be with and be annoyed by and not just instantly taken with. Right. But she also has to credibly be somebody that he can come around to and realize he's madly in love with this girl and always has been and he wants to win her yeah well and it's... we and we can get behind her hmm. yeah well and that, that well, that's is, what meg ryan does that is where that's where you want to give some points that's to right, you've got right. mail as you like meg ryan yeah well she's such a likable person and i was just going to say on screen I, at least meg ryan is actually if you watch her she's imitating margaret sullivan's performance in a couple of areas you can watch her facial expressions and delivery you're like oh oh right which is pretty which is fun right but Meg Ryan's cute. I mean. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's got that cute, sweet girl next door kind of. She, she just wrinkles her nose and you're like, oh, I like this character. Yeah. Whereas Margaret Sullivan does not have that. Sorry, Margaret Sullivan. <laughs> yeah. No, she doesn't. <sighs> I wish she did. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think that's true. I. A little bit of chemistry. Yeah. Although apparently everybody like th- everybody thought together. that they had red hot chemistry at the time because they did four movies together, so so it's an interesting story. Yeah, but can you na- can we name any of them? Chop around the corner is the only one that anybody really keeps up with these days, right? So, but if it wasn't for Margaret Sullivan, you have to give her some props. We probably wouldn't have a Jimmy Stewart. That's the part of the story that's interesting. Huh. Okay, she basically helped give Jimmy Stewart his career. You'll notice she's top billed here. And it's because she, well, let me, let me give some yeah, context. Get us for, back on track. Yes, sorry. I'm the one that derailed us. I'm, right. I'm the one who's sorry. You, I don't know. It was, it was a productive excursion. No. And we'll get back to it. Cause I think the Margaret Sullivan of it all is, is what you have to talk about. Just to stay on that track. Just I'll, I'll give a little bit, play a few more of my cards since you played some of yours, Jake. I think it's so tricky because Tom Hanks, when he has the diner scene with Meg Ryan, you feel a little bit bad towards him that he makes the decision he does precisely because Meg Ryan is so sympathetic. So the fact that Margaret Sullivan is so thoroughly just the chick from Cheers is who yeah. I think of. You, you you never question Jimmy Stewart tricking her for the second that half whole, of the movie. Yeah, that whole... And letting her embarrass herself. Yeah, which is maybe part of... You could argue, if you wanted to take up her defense, you could argue that they wrote it in such a way that he could always be the hero and never had to look bad. Yeah, I think the way this this movie plays... But then plays, you have a writing problem or a directing problem. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a way to make this. I mean, it is taming of the shrew. There's a way to make it so you're like, well, this is why you'd want to tame this shrew, which is they, they don't quite figure that out. Maybe I mean, they, they they tell you, they tell right. you, they don't show you. Right. They were wonderful letters. Yeah. Yeah, and they're going to quote a little bit from them. But the quotes they pull from that are like... I don't even know that the letters are actually supposed to be wonderful. Isn't the whole conceit of the movie that these they're both people kind of just naive. both have their heads in the clouds and yeah. the letters are actually stupid and actually they both just want someone who's attractive and that's like the whole joke. Is it, I mean... She still cares about his stupid, his, his <laughs> yeah. legs at the end. Yeah. Right? The punchline yeah. of the movie is she's the shallowest person in the world. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it still it's needs an, it, to be sure that his legs aren't bow legs. It's yeah. an unfortunate punchline. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's funny. I It doesn't make me laugh. It makes me feel like... But they okay. didn't... It's not inconsistent. They're not selling out the movie. I think Nathan's right about that. No, maybe. I, I just wish that they'd not... You wish they'd been more Put romantic and less... Uh, yeah, because part of part of the other conceit of the movie is this whole found family conceit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea that all of these unpleasant people are going to actually have a real care for each other in the end. Which that part's really sweet. There's real emotion with what we're really getting ahead of ourselves here. I'll, I'll take us back well, to context in a I, second. But everything with the boss and Rudy and uh, Mr. Matichek and... Yeah, I, I mean... That's like, that's uh, where the real emotion. You can't beat. What, what was what year was this? Nineteen uh, forty. Yeah, I was gonna say. You can't you can't beat nineteen forties color in terms of its characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it's super fun. Anytime you have like a Fred Astaire movie or something like this, you're gonna have like the. It's and this movie has such a really killer murderers row of character yeah, actors. It's a great and, little ensemble of yeah. character actors around. Everybody our, our from yeah. primary couple, the yeah. dandy to the everybody's just to the wizard. Everybody of Oz, scores the Wizard to, of Oz. Yeah, obviously. I don't know. The the only other thing I'd say, Page Boy, is did I just lose my brain? The only other thing I'd say is it to me. It feels really sweet when Jimmy Stewart is absolutely playing her for the second half of the movie. Yes, and and his warmth and his intentionality might I don't know. That might be my argument for. Yeah, it is a masterpiece. Actually, it it does enough work. Yeah, you, well, and Jimmy Stewart does enough work. Jimmy Stewart does does enough does enough work. Well, and that's where I'm like, it's so tricky what they're doing and what this character is doing. And there's so many yeah. ways that Jimmy Stewart could be unlikable. Yeah. Maybe you have to give her props for being who she was and playing it the way she played because somehow you don't just spit the story out of your mouth. And I think it would be pretty <laughs> easy for Stewart to be unlikable when he decides from from him going into the diner on he's just playing her and playing with her and embarrassing her and letting her make a fool of herself if in the wrong hands done mm-hmm. and i think most of that's just jimmy the writing's good and jimmy stewart is good jimmy stewart's actually vulnerable towards her though especially in the diner scene yeah, before it, he locks in to oh well they give him that <laughs> they give him that moment too in the at the final in that final scene where what does he do what does he say he's just like He's he's done like this sort of alpha mm-hmm. thing, this whole second or final act with her where he's playing her, he's pushing her around, he's push pull. Telling her about fat Mr. Popkin. Yeah, he's playing his jokes, whatever. Yeah. And then he like all of a sudden they give this moment where like he has to go all super beta, mm. you know, and be like, but do you like me? Like, do you mean it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget how, how it actually plays out, but yeah. 
it's like completely out of character for that final third. Right. For that final act. But it does illustrate the tightrope that you guys were talking about that he's trying to walk. Right. Yeah. And I, I always felt he sold it as a character. Like that moment, you're, the beta moment you're talking yeah. about. I really think he does. And I'm not prepared to say that she's not responsible for some of the success of of all that working. I mean, they do have to have some kind of chemistry, whether it's a chemistry that you naturally respond to and say, I like this couple. Obviously, all three of us kind of don't. Hmm. But yeah. it, it is a chemistry that sells this particular story and, and makes it work. And I just think, imagine if imagine if you put Cary Grant in here, how bad you feel when he's alphaing. Uh, like yeah, you, he, she, did, sure. she just, just feels really creepy. Yeah, so thoroughly like he's playing her or playing yeah, with her. Yeah, no, it, that would be a really, you'd feel really bad about that relationship. Yeah. Even as likable as Tom Hanks is, I remember, and you've got mail, there's a couple of moments yeah. where, and, and for one thing, he's, he, you know, he's owner of Fox Books. They've already empowered his character so much with right. m- status and all this that when he finally decides to play with Meg Ryan, it feels like the movie has given Tom Hanks an unfair advantage that he knows and she doesn't. Yeah. And with Jimmy Stewart, you just... You never question it unless you're thinking about it for a podcast. You, you you don't ask the question of, is he doing something wrong? Yeah, well, and then you, even in that scene where he's being mean with her in the cafe, I mean, they really amp her up too. Like, yeah, she, he's she, toying with her and you, you, you can credibly believe that he's going to sit down and get real and then she's... Goes yeah. off. And then she and... says, you insignificant little clerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's so nasty. And then he's just like, all right, fine. Right. I'm going to leave you here to be, to get what you deserve, I guess, because it was me and I know what you really think of me. But then in the bedroom scene where they're both more sweet to each other when she's sick, she still, she, again, she does like, you really wouldn't understand Jimmy Stewart. Like, yeah. they keep giving her that. Yeah. And so, she, yeah. Keeps, she keeps doing unlikable. She's so unpleasant. <laughs> she, 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 awful. she really makes a fool of herself. Um, and I don't know. All right. All right. Pull it, let me pull it back here. We'll, we'll litigate these things a little bit more thoroughly, although maybe we've said a lot of what we want to say now. But... Uh, let me talk a little bit about Ernst Lubitsch, born 1892, German-born, but worked his way up through the German film industry. And then, as so many German people did at that time, saw the writing on the wall and came to America. And he is in that tier of directors that you might not know his name, but he definitely influenced all the people whose names you do know. Hmm. Um, he basically created this kind of farce. And really is responsible for bringing the musical form into its maturation. Did musicals with Maurice Chevalier and uh, things like this. And was just really good at this kind of movie. The the coy, sexual tension, comedy of manners kind of stuff. I mean, he basically just invented that. And he was famous for something that in the trades they called the Lubitsch touch at the time. And the Lubitsch touch is... Just the coy, playful way that he handles these scenarios. And so, the famous example of the Lubitsch touch is in The Smiling Lieutenant, which is an early Maurice Chevalier movie. The king and the queen are together, and he's this portly king. And the queen is having an affair with the Smiling Lieutenant, Maurice Chevalier's character. So, you have a scenario that you have to show people, you're a screenwriter, and the scenario is... 
king, queen, lieutenant having an affair with the queen. How do you dramatize that? How do you show it? You know, you give that to 30 students. They all go home. They come back with it. What do they show? The way that Lubitsch solved that problem was you have the king and the queen wake up. They smile. They make googly eyes at each other. The king leaves and goes down the stairs and behind him we see Chevalier go into the queen's bedroom and then the king gets about halfway down the stairs and he looks down and he realizes he's not wearing his scabbard and so he goes back upstairs he goes into the bedroom he walks out holding his scabbard he makes it about halfway down the stairs and then he can't put the scabbard on it's too small and so then he walks back upstairs goes in the door, and then you hear the commotion. And that's basically the Lubitsch touch is what's the clever, indirect way that we can tell a story. And oftentimes it would be, th- this movie is pretty sweet and sentimental, and it's got a lot of sexual tension, but it doesn't have a lot of sex proper. The thing that I just described is much more what Lubitsch was actually famous for. A Trouble in Paradise is a famous 1932 pre-code film. That's just really, really racy and scandalous and lots of double entendre and really ahead of its time or just of its time because everybody understood double entendre then too. Heaven Can Wait is a movie about a guy that uh, cheats on his wife again and again and again and then goes to the gates of paradise and he has to convince St. Peter basically that he can get into heaven and why all his infidelities actually pointed to his search for the one woman. So... All that to say, uh, Lubitsch was pretty racy and pretty ahead of his time and pretty coy and clever in the way that he did bedroom farce, which is why uh, I think Jake's right when he says the ending of this movie is of a piece with what Lubitsch wanted. I mean, obviously, it's of a piece with what Lubitsch wanted because Lubitsch made the movie, but Lubitsch is not the kind of guy that I think would have ultimately had all that much sentiment about whether the two lovers end up together. He knows what makes a good story. But what's what's fun for him in this movie is more the his bemusement at human behavior and all those silly ways that we tie ourselves in knots and talk past each other and all this kind of stuff. One critic said he introduced the notion, the very European notion, that sex is above all something to be amused by. And so that's what he's famous for. So you see his influence on Swing Time, for example. Of the things we've watched, I'd say Swing Time and Philadelphia's story are mm. both downstream of Lubitsch, who basically introduced the musical to talkies and introduced this, the, just this whole attitude of, we're two attractive people and we're just going to have fun with that with each other. And mm-hmm. the movie's going to have fun with that. And none of us are taking this all this seriously, but it sure is fun that we can pair off and have this mating ritual and eventually consummate it at the end of the movie without saying that that's what we're doing. So that's Ernst Lubitsch. I would say he made at least one more masterpiece, which is called To Be or Not To Be, which was made in 1942. And it's about a troupe of actors that has to pretend to be Nazis in order to escape from occupied Poland, I think it is. Hmm. And it's really funny and ahead of its time and in its vicious satire of fascism and it was made in 1942 which means you know he gets full props for taking on the nazis at that time and so it's got that mel brooks you know one of the characters dresses up as hitler and bluffs his way past the guards and and stuff like that it's cute but yeah i guess the only other thing in terms of context is let's talk about it a little because we've talked about jimmy stewart before let's talk about margaret sullivan she was a stage actress who 
came to prominence on Broadway and then got tapped for the movies and was very popular through the 30s. She's famously difficult to work with and depressed and unlikable, if you can believe it. She uh, actually, in her later, she had a pretty sad, one of those sad Hollywood lives. She ended up, she had a degenerative disease that took away her hearing in her later life. And she got really depressed around that. And around age 50, she was found having overdosed of barbiturates. And we don't know whether she actually killed herself or not. But it wasn't a happy story, Margaret Sullivan. But the interesting thing is that she was one of her four marriages was to Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda was famously a friend of Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart was just an actor getting bit parts in movies. He hadn't come to prominence at all. And Margaret Sullivan, who was a star in 1935, asked for Stewart because she knew Stewart and she thought that, oh, this guy's a movie star. Like she'd seen him on the stage and she just thought this guy has the goods. So she asked for Jimmy Stewart to star with her in a movie called Next Time in We Love. And they were a kind of a hot commodity for a while. There was a lot of gossip about them. We don't know whether they were ever actually together. I think she would have been married at that time, but... I don't know how much that really matters. But she basically helped make Jimmy Stewart, helped him fashion his persona. He had all these awkward mannerisms, which eventually he became beloved for. But apparently they were so overwhelming at the beginning, just his hemming and hawing and his umming and his kind of, you know, his Jimmy Stewartisms that she basically helped him pull all that stuff way back, worked behind the scenes with them, did private rehearsals with them, basically taught Jimmy Stewart how to regard the camera and how to be a movie star. And by the end of working on that movie together, Jimmy Stewart had basically formed his persona that we know and love. Although interestingly, I think what she actually got him to do is pull back the shtick so much that the shtick is actually pretty pulled back in something like Philadelphia Story or this. The shtick only as he becomes more comfortable with his persona, he starts to find ways to incorporate, incorporate it back it. in. <laughs> and then by the time he dies, he's just like full. He's going to go on Johnny Carson and just do the shtick. And the shtick has kind of overwhelmed the <laughs> persona a little bit. But peak Stewart in 46 with It's a Wonderful Life and then the later Hitchcock pictures and stuff, there's a good mix of shtick and actual acting. <laughs> but something like this is relatively light on... Jimmy Stewart's shtick and just coasts on Jimmy Stewart's charisma, which is very real, and on his acting, which is good. But yeah, Margaret Sullivan, if you like Jimmy Stewart, you owe her a debt of gratitude because Margaret Sullivan helped Jimmy Stewart get his big break and helped him fashion his persona and taught him how to act. So it's interesting. She gets first billing in this movie. She was a bigger star than he was at this time. And history hasn't left us that impression at all. But Margaret Sullivan gave us Jimmy Stewart. So there you go. I guess we'll go through the plot of this movie. But it, I mean, I don't know. Is there any other big picture stuff you guys want to say about Shopper the Shopper on the Corner before we dive in? Thoughts? Uh, ben, what did you think about? Did you bring any baggage to I, I guess you could tell <laughs> it. What, what is your history with Shop Around the Corner? Nothing. I knew that there was a movie called Shop Around the Corner, and I knew that there was a movie called You've Got Mail that was inspired by Shop Around the Corner, and I never saw either of them until I met my wife a few years ago. I think I saw You've Got Mail within the past 12 months for the first time ever. 
saw Shop Around the Corner in Christmas 2018, I want to say. There you go. Yeah. It's one of your wife's like beloved kind of. It's a movie her family grew up watching and knew about. And I had only, I had heard of it as a thing. Yeah. This is a thing. Hmm. Never saw it. Jake, same question? The same story except minus the wife part. Minus the wife. <laughs> I, 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 I actually, I've only seen You've Got Mail and Shop Around the Corner in the last year for the first time. So well, cool. you had never, you, you didn't grow up with You've Got Mail? I, it's just one of those things that I think by the time it came out, I was sick of the power couple mm-hmm. and I had distaste for Sleepless in Seattle. And I just, what was the other one that they did? There's a, th- I don't know. I was just not, not especially interested to see the same Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan thing over again. So mm-hmm. but it's go. a good one. Yeah. It's a good, it's, so. a, it's a good rom-com. I was hoping it was you. That's one of those movies that, I don't think I've ever in my life intended to watch You've Got Mail. I've never said, you know what, Nathan, let's watch You've Got Mail. But I've seen that movie probably a dozen times just at Things with Girls. That and The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler. No, I've never seen that either. They, they were just yeah, so... Yeah, that was a, definitely a ubiquitous one for me. Huh. They were just, just the kind of things that ended up on in different places. I think my mom, like You've Got Mail a lot, so... I just, I have seen it so many times, but. So, you got mail was when? 90, actually, maybe it's as late as 98. You've got mail. Yeah, 98. Okay. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So, that would have been 14. Yeah. Yeah, 14. So, you were like old enough to reject it. I was like, I'm 12 or 13. I just have to watch this because it's being watched wherever I am or by my family. Yeah. Uh, I have seen, I don't know that I grew up with Shop Around the Corner. I have seen it a number of times for whatever reason. I've seen most of the Ernst Lubrich classic. Billy Wilder is my favorite director and Billy Wilder was an apprentice. He was he was a screenwriter for hmm. Lubitsch and helped him write some of his classics uh, and definitely took a lot from Lubitsch. I mean, the whole two and two, give them two and two and let them make four mm-hmm. kind of begins with Lubitsch and you see a lot of it. There's a lot of good examples of that kind of storytelling huh. in this movie. What? So, there's a, there's a musical version of Shop Around the Corner? Yeah. So, Shop Around the Corner, I should say, I guess, is based on a play. A play mm-hmm. And that play has inspired a couple of things. There is a musical. I forget what the name of it is. It's not Shop Around the Corner. Right. Um, I haven't seen it. What is the name of that play? Maybe I should see it. Yeah, yeah. It's in. It's called In the Good Old Summertime, a semi-musical showcase for Judy Garland. Hmm. And apparently there was also a Broadway show called She Loved Me. And then, of course, Nora Ephron's ineffable classic, You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. <coughs> but yes, it started as a play by a guy named Miklos Laszlo Parfumery. And Mikos Laszlo is known for the play Parfumerie and basically for the fact that that play inspired Shop Around the Corner and You've Got Mail. He's not really known for anything else. <sighs> okay. So, cool. That's the thing. All right. Big picture thoughts, guys, before we go further. We've had a lot of big picture thoughts on the lack of awesomeness of Margaret Sullivan. But any more, anything else before we dive into this Christmas turkey? And get gravy all over our face. No. <laughs> no thoughts? No. 
just reiterate what I said before. It's sweet. It's cute. I'm glad I watched it. I am happy it exists. I I think I like it better than you. I mean, I don't... I, like I said, it's a second tier classic. It's not It's a Wonderful Life or anything like that. But what is... It also does suffer by not being It's a Wonderful Life because who wants to be the other Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie? I think right. that, that probably hurts it a little bit. But... The things that I would point to as truly transcendently great about this movie, it is a good movie for anyone who wants to write to watch, I think, because it is a beautiful three-act structure. I mean, it is a really cleverly and solidly constructed movie, which I can talk about as we go through. But it's, a, it's just one of those perfect little screenplays in terms of how it stacks things. And, and it's just a, a fun movie to look at because it's got Act one, act two, and act three, and they're all really clearly delineated and well set up. The curtain closes. It would make a good stage play. So, I like that about it. I like the supporting cast. I, I, I just enjoy spending time in this world, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it. I like, I like all of those things too. I like being in the shop around the corner. And it has a high degree of, I think the internet coined a word for this, animoia. The nostalgia for a time that you've never known. It has a high yeah, degree of that. For sure. That's uh, a good word to know. Yeah, it's a good word. And somebody had to coin it, um, which Christmas, of course, is full of animoia. The, mm-hmm. I'm nostalgic for sleigh rides. I've never even seen a, sl- a one horse open sleigh in my life, but I'm nostalgic for it somehow. Mm-hmm. But this movie has a, like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to be in a, a little shop with. All these people and selling leather goods in a little European village somewhere. In uh, the great city of Budapest. In the great city. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, yeah, little European village called Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and knowing that Lubridge is a European immigre, you can tell he's got this fondness for a world that was quickly being chewed up and destroyed in 1940 mm-hmm. of all times. And so, yeah. it's, got, it's got a little bit of that ghostly like, oh... Here's a guy looking back on something that he loved that really doesn't exist after Hitler sweeps through and, you know, that guy did some bad stuff. <laughs> All right, let's talk through this movie. So, this is a story about the people who work for Matichek and Company. We start with, yeah, everybody. Mr. Matichek. Mr. Matichek, played by the great Frank Morgan, the Wizard of Oz. A guy who was so talented that MGM put him under a lifetime contract after they saw him. And so, he just churned out stuff for them. And he's far and away most famous now for playing five or six roles in Wizard of Oz. Let's see if we can count him. There's the Wizard of Oz. There's Professor Marvel. There's the gatekeeper that starts crying because Dorothy is sad or whatever. And the carriage driver. And I think there's one more. Where's come on guys? Sorry, neither, I haven't seen that in so long. Another one of you is a Wizard of Oz head. Nope. No, sorry. Oh man, Wizard of Oz is great. I love the Wizard of Oz. I read clearly the book. Nobody else does because we can't name all five roles yeah. that Frank Morgan played. Frank Morgan played. If you truly loved Frank o- or Frank Oz, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Frank Oz, I do. If you truly love Frank, Frank Oz, Oz, you'd be able to name every role that he played <laughs> in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Zero. Zero. <laughs> well, there you go. You truly love him. You proved yeah. it. Yeah, but can you name every role he played in The Muppets Take Manhattan? Uh, maybe. Let's see. Piggy? No. Fonzie? 
Or Fonzie. <laughs> Fonzie. <laughs> the Fonz. The Fonz. <laughs> that uh, great Ron Howard joint. Other characters. All right, folks. Or folks. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're introducing the people that work for Matichek and company. You got Vardish, the guy, the, the Vardish? dandy. Vardish? Vardish, whatever Vardish. he is. Yeah. The dandy. You got Peppy. Peppy's full of pep. He's He likes to do a woman voice and he's all like, hey, I'm Peppy over here. He's a brat. Yeah. he's. You got uh, Mr. Krolik, our buddy Jimmy Stewart. You got my favorite character, Pirovich, the little sweet little guy with the mustache, played by an actor named Felix Brassert, who was really good at playing sweet little guys with mustaches and just one of those instantly likable uncle kind of characters. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Mr. Matichek himself. And we're going to do some all. We're going to typecast everybody. It's going to... The two other ladies in, who work there. Yeah, the two other ladies. They, they Flora get, and what's her name? Flora and Yvonne. Fauna, I think. I think. Uh, yeah, Fauna, yeah. <laughs> we're going to introduce Jimmy Stewart. He's going to be sharp. He's going to be straightforward. He's not going to do much. He's the only one who's going to cross Mr. Matichek. Yes, indeed. The only person that's going to cross Mr. Matichek. But I spent a lot of time setting up the fact that everybody bends over backwards to suck up to Mr. Matichek just so that we can show Jimmy Stewart does not. Well, the thing I'll point out about this first act, like, the, like when I say this is a masterpiece of construction and of writing, just the fact that we are going to have the stupid cigarette box that plays So Chichonia, and we're going to learn so much about all of these characters mm-hmm. just from this one. And you can imagine like each person having a thing that they, we have to introduce and figure out. But instead, we're going to have one cigarette box and we're, everyone's going to bounce off of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to have the dandy guy, you know, Vadis or how do you say Vadish. Vadish. Oh, yes, Mr. Matichak. This is wonderful, Mr. And you're going to have Matichak. And I'll he, go even further. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You have Matichek, who obviously got it in a stupid deal, was taken advantage of, and now wants to save face and is being a little buffoonish about it, but also wants to exert his authority, but also he's a sweetheart. And you've got Jimmy Stewart, who's able to stand up to his boss and cares more about the quality of the shop and actually has some shrewdness in in how he sees things. And then you have Margaret Sullivan show up and she turns out to, I mean, I don't have to recap the movie for people, but basically you have, we're able to introduce and set everything up and put all our pieces in place with this one cigarette box. And you have that wonderful running joke of Pirovich running up the stairs or ducking around the corner every time. Matichek. I want your opinion. Now be honest. Right. Don't let me influence you in any way. <laughs> and then you have Margaret Sullivan show up and... Yeah, she's not likable. We already talked about that a lot. I don't know. Is there anything else you guys want to say about? You want to defend Margaret Sullivan a little bit, Ben? No, I. I mean, I'm. I'm. Th- I've been thinking through it since we talked. She's. She's not likable, but there's. There is something about her that's attractive, anyway. I. I, I don't know. I. Th- is it a difference in, in a time period that made them such a good couple, back in the forties? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to think about what it is. You you read the reviews and stuff from the time and people are like red hot chemistry between Sullivan and Stewart. Like, I just don't feel it. And I think that that transcends, I mean, 
We've talked about Philadelphia stories. Philadelphia story surely transcends same time period, Mm -hmm. and that 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 movie's on fire with chemistry. Anytime you have Humphrey Bogart across from somebody, Mm -hmm. like what's her face in Casablanca, Ingrid Bergman. Like anytime you have Humphrey Bogart across from Ingrid Bergman, (laughs) chemistry. Anytime you have Fred and Ginger, yeah, right. That doesn't change. You see chemistry. You feel chemistry. It's real. It vibes. It pops. It electrifies. I just don't. I, I never felt that in this movie, at least not in the way that you come to expect from something like this. Yeah. Or that you come to hope. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, it's all there on the page. They have a good meet cute. They have the, the antagonism between them is really well built. I admire that about this movie because I hate insta antagonism between people where the screenplay is just like we need these people to not like each other for some reason so she's gonna not like him and he's gonna say a thing and he's gonna be more of a jerk than he needs to be like even though Mm -hmm. he's not gonna be that way for the rest of the movie just because we need to that's the part of the movie that we're in this movie does a really good job of in in terms of how it's written again uh, setting up why they would be antagonistic and giving them reasons that have nothing to do with each other. She needs a job. He doesn't have one. She needs to, she wants to sell the cigarette box. They hit it. Like both of their motivations are so clear and well delineated and all that. But yeah, I cannot tell a lie. There's not a lot of chemistry between the two of them that I can see. (sighs) Zero stars. (laughs) Christmas is ruined. I thought you were the Christmas hero. Pull it back. Save us. All right. I'm saving us. I'm saving us. I think they perform well together, for sure. There's something. Yeah, I th- buy them as friends. Mm-hmm. I, I buy them as coworkers. I don't feel like they hate each other in real life, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, if they really didn't have any chemistry... We wouldn't be talking about this movie. Mm-hmm. We, the, the movie would have stood the test of time. It would just be a bad movie. Right. If there was nothing there. So, there's something. Yeah, let's not overstate our case. But still, just the same. If there was a little bit more of that some, uh, of that something, enough to make us be actually invested in their relationship. Like I said earlier, I'm, I'm more invested in Jimmy Stewart and in his success than anything in this movie and yep. what you want in a romantic comedy is to be invested in both characters and invested in them getting together right and feeling like they're foiled there's something holding them apart it's right. their own pride it's their own prejudice even. right yeah as nice you come up with that yourself yeah i did i think i'll write a book i think you should yeah austin knew that yeah for instance like this movie is structured and built around this like Will they, won't they tension that should be there that you don't feel though when they're in the room together mm-hmm. of, oh, they really like each other and that's why they hate each other or they're talking past each other. And if only there's just not enough of a charge there that makes you root for them mm-hmm. hmm. or for her. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to deny. Yeah. It is hard to deny. And yet I'm the Christmas hero. So I have to... Defend this movie and... I'm the dear Christmas friend. And the dear Christmas friend that 
But I'm the Christmas master. <laughs> I don't think we uh, said that's what you were. Yeah, I think we said we were the Christmas pastor. <laughs> I think you wanted us to say you were the Christmas master. <laughs> well, listen, one of my favorite things about this movie is what happens in between Act 1 and Act 2, which is Act 1 closes, the lights go down, and then the lights come up on Act 2, and those stupid cigarette things have not sold, and they've been marked off. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lubitsch touch. Like, how can we stretch this joke a little further? How can we make our characters a little bit stupider? <laughs> how can we just like... Uh... See, you got a job because you manipulated a fat lady into buying a cigarette case that will warn her. Right. And now we got a bunch of these cigarette cases. Right. It turns out that you weren't able to manipulate 20 fat ladies the same way, which you, yeah. in, a, in a hack movie... We just never bother and say, oh, of course they sold the rest of them. But this movie is always going to go one step further and it's screened. That, 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 I, that's what I think when I say this movie is well-written. What I mean is mm-hmm. you feel like they've thought about all the different possibilities that arise out of this story, this situation, <laughs> these people. And they've done it thoroughly and they've then chosen the best ones. And so it's a generous movie with its conceits and with its ideas and with its... It's like what we always say about Raiders of the Lost Ark for me is actually the ultimate example of this. It's like we've thought of everything that you can do with these characters and with this situation down to the fact that if the Ark is in the in a box with Nazi symbols on it, those symbols will burn off. And if Indiana Jones punches out a Nazi, the jacket is going to be too small for him. It was like mm-hmm. there's, there's not a stone unturned in turn, terms of humor and adventure and excitement and the really classic movies, your Citizen Kane, your Raiders of the Lost Ark, your Singing in the Rain, whatever, have that quality in the writing, I think, of just like somebody sat down and <coughs> thought and thought and thought and thought, what are the different things we can do with this? And this movie does have that quality of, mm-hmm. you know, what you know what would be even better is if the cigarette boxes hadn't sold. I also love the fact that the movie treats me like an adult and does not tell me that we, we don't need a scene of Mr. Matichek saying, you're hired, young miss. We just, she sold the box to the lady. Mm-hmm. We've all seen a movie before. We know how stories work. We know she's hired now. We knew, we knew the second sh- the dilemma was created that she was going to be hired by act two. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we don't have to tell people that. And it's just more fun when you can put the pieces together for yourself. I mean, that's just a small piece to put together for yourself, but I just think about how many, think about a Marvel movie. They'd be like, you are now hired and this is your job. Oh, thank you, Mr. Matichek. <laughs> Why write that scene? We don't need that scene. Just don't write that scene. Just do something else. Uh, so now we're into act two. Now you write that scene because you get uh, one more chance to give Robert Downey Jr. a quippy line. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He doesn't say you're hired. He has some, something happens. It's a gag. He has mm-hmm. a one-liner. And then you know. Right. Well, and that's, in the best Marvel movies, that's what I like is they actually do do feel, they, they never feel like they went to the, the extra mile of like a Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. But it feels like we've thought a lot about what would be fun and what would be cute and how to exploit the personalities of our characters and uh, Avengers part one with the Josh Whedon screenplays like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But mm. Uh, that is that is one of the reasons I like Marvel still probably better than its com- competition is because some thought and some cleverness goes into the construction and the writing. But I ain't got nothing on Ernst Lubitsch. Okay, so Act 2, Mr. Matichek is angry. He thinks that Stuart's having an affair. 
on him. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. We're going to spend a lot of time with everything being sad and Mr. Matichek almost committing suicide. And I don't know, were you guys invested in this part of the movie or did you think that that went on too long or what? It all works really well. I I mean, the only thing, if you wanted to be critical of it, you could say that <coughs> you have to make Matichek a moron to have him always be sending his wife cash while his dumb underpaid clerk rolls in with his new fancy coat and mm-hmm. is running errands to his wife's house and thinking that the hardworking son, Jimmy Stewart, is actually the one who's... Right. Like, you have to make him pretty stupid. Yeah. Right? But that's just part of the conceit and the car- the places where the movie allowably goes cartoonish and... And Mr. It's part of the fun and the charm of it. Frank Morgan's so good at playing that kind of yeah. silliness and hypocrisy. And like the scene in this section where he's yelling at everybody and then customers keep interrupting him. And he's suddenly <laughs> really sweet. He's, yeah. he's really good at playing that simple broad. Oh, this guy's a doofus. And he keeps getting undermined by circumstances that prove what a doofus he Or earlier in the movie when he sneaks behind the register to take the phone call and then he starts yelling at the guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. It's like the kind of stuff that's not Later that in the movie, he do- he tries to do the, tr- at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that part. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, if you don't know, I don't know who would, Mr. Manichek. <laughs> and they just walk off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> movies of this era have pull off the interesting trick that modern movies can't of making fun of a buffoonish boss like that without seeming to hate the notion of bosses in general. Yeah. I, I don't know what the difference is or how they thread that needle, but it's really interesting to watch a movie that has so much fun with this authority figure sucking that doesn't feel I, like well, it just hates authority I, I think figures. I think one trick is that the characters never hate Mr. Matichek for it. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart never actually hates him. He's sad, he disagrees, but he never hates him. He never disrespects him actually. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Everyone behaves differently. If anybody hates him, it's... Uh, Vodish. It's Vodish. Yeah. And that's apparent both in his sucking up and also what he's what he's doing. Right. Yeah. So, and then, the, and then there's the Aaron boy who doesn't love him or hate him or much respect him, but he's going somewhere and Mr. Matajek is part of it. Yeah. Part of, part of the plan. <laughs> yep. He's working that plan. Yeah. Well, and the movie obviously loves Mr. Matichek. It's going to spend extra time with him and give him a really happy mm-hmm. ending with Rudy, the new errand boy, and all that kind of stuff. And it's good. it has some real sympathy for the, you know, it gives him the line, I guess she didn't want to grow old with me. And mm-hmm. It's a really good line. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that tells you, you understand so much about, yeah, and this is why I think this movie is a masterpiece of of just simple, sturdy construction and writing. You understand so much about his marriage and about who Mrs. Matichek is without ever meeting her or only just meeting her through Pepe's stupid impression and through a couple of phone calls where we only hear Mr. Matichek on the line. I guess she just didn't want to grow old with me, tells you so much. And then I love the generosity of the movie and letting, this is something that never ha- would never happen. Like any idiot producer on the movie says, have Jimmy Stewart save Mr. Matichek. Why are you giving this? moment to Peppy, like what's what's with that that's that's counterintuitive he's not the protagonist of your movie and it actually is a a weird extra bit of time like Peppy's got to go to the hospital and then he's got to get yeah, Jimmy it's a Stewart. weird choice yeah. in how that plays out yeah 
I mean, you could streamline it by Stuart saves him and then they're back together and then yeah. everything's good. But the movie just wants to have this little, it's, it's the shop around the corner. It's not just the, the Stuart and Sullivan story. It's the story of Pepe and Pirovich and. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Pepe's got a, his own little arc that he's following. Yep. Yep. He gets to become a clerk and, and, and he enjoys. Yep. And we introduce a new errand boy and we've got a new in all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's sweet. And and part of what it does to in all of that is give him the agency where nobody then feels bad about and feels really great about him being the one who takes Mrs. Matichek to the to the woodshed. Yes. On the phone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if you want that to happen and you don't want Jimmy Stewart to be the one who does that, you want to let him take Vadish to the woodshed, but yep. you don't want to have him Mm-hmm. go after Mrs. Matichek, but you want everybody to feel the gratification of having it happen, you take the stupid little Aaron boy mm-hmm. and who's feels beat up by her the whole movie and give him the satisfaction of letting her have it. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it's it's really satisfying and really clever. And it does not run into the the problem that I often feel of... And the scene I always think of is the um, scene in Uncle Buck... <laughs> everybody remembers that never cinematic. seen it never seen it uh, well there's a scene where john candy goes to talk to a school secretary or something and she's played by the the lady who plays the secretary in planes trains and automobiles the chirpy lady that steve martin rains down profanity on if you remember that movie but she has a mole on her face and she's she the movie writes her as really nasty just so that John Candy can come back and tell her off and say how much he loves his kids and she needs to get her act together and why don't you buy a a rat to gnaw that thing off your face and it's like you made this character unpleasant and you gave them a mole just so that you could set them up for John Candy dunking on them. This movie, I often feel like that with villains. We were just talking about that in our last movie, I think. I don't remember what the context was, but or maybe it was on the booking or I don't know, some set of characters where we were, they avoided that trap or ran into that trap or something like that. But uh, the, Va- the Mrs. Matichek stuff feels pretty satisfying and the Vodish stuff, which is milked for like five precious minutes of screen time, actually feels pretty satisfying. What else is And then there? it doesn't really let Peppy get entirely off the hook because then he turns into yes. the bully yeah. that he hates. Right. So. Which is all this movie does. Peppy is becomes the bully. Margaret Sullivan was always just as shallow as all the people that she looked down. And this movie has a very uh, cynical cynical view. It, it has a very cynical undertone to it, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sweet and it's sentimental and it wants to be generous with its characters and give them happy endings. And it wants to believe that people are actually pretty good and band together. And there's something very not cynical about it. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's just bemused by how silly everybody is and <laughs> how hypocritical and self-contradictory everyone is. Right. Yeah. Maybe Jimmy Stewart rises above that. It's an open question. Mm, no. No. Yeah. You don't think so? No, because he, he's all, he's got all of his ideals the cafe. Right. Right. That's all you need where you've got uh Pirovich looking in and he's like, no, I don't want to know if she's pretty. Is she pretty? Mm-hmm. Is he? Oh, is he? Oh, she is. Okay, good. Like he's relieved. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But how do you feel about Miss Westerface, whatever her name is? 
Yeah. 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 Her name is. Oh, then you're not going to like. So, okay. So suddenly it actually does really matter that, it, that she's pretty. And no, he can't see past the fact that he, he doesn't, they don't have good office rapport. Right. To the letters that are supposedly supposed to transcend, you know, her inner depths are supposed to transcend her. Like, but in the end, he does believe that her inner depths transcend on some level. Well, he wants her, uh, I guess. Yeah, so. but but she'd better also be cute, and she'd better also. So yeah, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying he doesn't even he doesn't quite get above it. It's the same as the bow legged joke at the end, right? Yeah, well, and also he's going to spend the second half of the movie essentially punishing her for the first half of the movie. So, again, it, because it's Jimmy Stewart, you don't think of it the same way you would if it was Cary Grant or someone like that. You don't, you don't, I don't think you would naturally just say, oh, this is Taming of the Shrew, but, but it is. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know what else you'd call what he's doing to her. It's basically just psychological warfare from, from the cafe scene. On. on. <laughs> he's yeah, just he's playing put, one he's, big... He's putting her through her paces. Right. He's disillusioning, disillusioning her. He's disenamoring her of... What, what's his name, Mr. Popkin? Popkin. That, that, yeah. that face. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, that part Mr. is so funny. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Mr. Popkin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like... Yes, for his... For his so, t- someone of his stature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but was great. he good looking? Yes, for his type. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, it doesn't have much of an edge to it, but it does if you think about it for two seconds have an edge to it, I think. I mean, even the fact that he's going to show up when she's sick and have this beautiful letter that's going to reignite things, it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He He is really putting her through her paces. He's going to quote a bunch of, uh, he's going to plagiarize a bunch of Victor Hugo and crap, and then he's going to put a pin in it (laughs) (laughs) later. It's like the big setup for the... Let down. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. You know, it reminds me of another famous Jimmy Stewart scene where he has the advantage. I kept thinking of this scene. It's it's where stupid uh, Donna Reed loses her robe and is yeah it's a very interesting situation. It, this whole the whole second half of the movie is basically just that scene. I could sell tickets. Yeah, I yeah. Could, like, I'll call the police. <laughs> They'd be on my side. <laughs> They'd be on my side too. I mean, yeah, it's basically just Jimmy Stewart life handed him an advantage, not because of his char- his superior <laughs> character or anything. He just ended up in the position of power and he's going to milk it for everything that he's worth. And because he's Jimmy Stewart, the audience is going to cheer him on and want him to do it. <laughs> and in Donna Reed's case, it's completely unfair and you feel bad for her. In this case, Margaret Sullivan I, is so I thoroughly... Didn't feel, I didn't feel bad for her at all. I just felt like it's what a guy does. I mean, bad in a sense, but also like... For Margaret Sullivan or Donna Reed? Donna Reed. Yeah. yeah I, I just, Jimmy Stewart really does sell it like anybody would do it like And this. it's sweet. It, but but again, it, you sub in Cary Grant, or and it's not sweet. It, and there's it's, nothing sweet about it's it. It's me at all. too. I mean, it's That's just exactly like, right. Oh no, just, yeah, it's yeah. Icky. Jimmy Stewart can just thread that needle so so beautifully. Well, we're on Act Two here. Is there anything else you guys want to say about the cafe scene itself? I mean, it's pretty beautiful the way it's done. I liked it. I didn't. I remembered I had I had seen You've Got Mail before. I'd seen Shop Around the Corner. Right. And so I had some of the same memory that you had of this is not going to be pretty. This is going to be, this is going to be a little ugly. Mm-hmm. And it never felt as ugly as as it could. So right. 
again, threads the needle in a really fun way. Well, that's where you want to kind of that 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 would be my best defense of Margaret Sullivan. You do need her to be so thoroughly a brat in that scene that you're just okay with everything that happens and with the way that it plays out. Like in order for the plot to work there, she just yeah. has to Yeah, you know, this whole conversation reminds me of the same problem of casting Darcy that we talk about in Pride and Prejudice. It's something I've been thinking about whether or not I would I would say. That's interesting. But it's the it's the inverse of that. Where you can either cast him for the man that he becomes or cast him for the man that he seems like. And if you cast him yeah. too much one way or another. Then you then you lose the tension of the movie. Hmm. And, or, or you lose the tension of the book rat, rather mm-hmm. the tension of the story. And this is just the inverse of that where Jimmy Stewart is Elizabeth and you're always on Elizabeth's side, even when Elizabeth is blinded by her pride and her prejudice. Right. But you've got to have a Darcy that can be credibly unlikable in the in the first half of the movie and completely somebody that you could be head over heels for in the second half. Mm-hmm. And that it just never pulls that turn off. And in a movie like this, if you're going to err on one side or the other, you need to err on the side of the front end tension. Yeah. Because if you don't have it, then you don't have a movie. That's right. Um, yeah. Even if the resolution isn't as satisfying. Well, the, so, the sort of nasty thought I've been sitting on is if she was just prettier, that might actually help. I, I'll stand with you on that. I do I, too. I, I will go out on that limb with you. And I'm not saying that. she's ugly or anything like that, but yes, if, if there was... She's not especially pretty and that may be... It, I don't think that's all we're saying, but it may be all we're saying. I dread the fact that maybe that's all we're saying. Uh, they lack chemistry. So, well, maybe we're just like, she's not that pretty. But uh, I do no, think- No, because I don't think that Catherine Hepburn's that pretty. That's true. That's true. Uh, agreed. You saved us. Yay. Catherine Hepburn's not that pretty. No. But, she's but, rounding her jodhpurs or whatever. And Yeah. In fact- Margaret Sullivan is, I'll even say that Margaret Sullivan is prettier than Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn gets on that horse. You don't know whether the horse is on top or Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> but, but, but still. Yeah. She's just got energy and fire and. Uh, yeah. She brings. Charisma. Yeah. Catherine Hepburn has a relationship with that, with the camera that, and with the audience that, that Margaret Sullivan does not have. And some of it may just be direction. And, you know, if she smiled more, if she, you know, there's ways of Margaret Sullivan just could be more vulnerable and likable. I do actually like her at the end when she says, psychologically, I'm very confused. And she's kind of being sweet about the whole thing. Like, you do, yeah. you do like her better there. Yeah, you do. She That manages to pull off some of the sweetness. Yeah. That scene. If she had a little bit more of that up front, maybe we wouldn't. But, but yeah, I do want to say if, if. If she was just a little bit more pretty, you know, in a way that counterbalanced some of the archness of her personality as written and as performed, maybe that would, maybe you'd feel a little bit more like, oh, this is, I get why Jimmy Stewart wants to go after this girl, even if it's just animal attraction. I, I get it. Whereas Mm -hmm. the movie sort of fails to give you a reason why he's interested in pushing past. Um, Yeah, there's really... In terms of their on-screen interaction, there is nothing in her looks or personality to really overcome right. 
anything. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't think I'm being shallow when I say looks would help. Something, something that makes you just say, yeah, I understand why you want to overcome the gap here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't see enough. And, you know, maybe it's supposed to be whatever was in the letters, but I don't think so. I mean, mm-hmm. it just doesn't, it just doesn't quite get there. No, I, I mean, I think if I had to guess from, from Ernst Lubitsch's point of view, this is exactly what he wanted. And he's just having, he, he's, I, I think he has some sentiment, but I think he has more sentiment for Mr. Matichek and Rudy. I think, I think, I think he's just bemused and amused by these characters, and her mm-hmm. being a, an actual snippy old maid is actually more funny than any other version. And so the joke is pretty thoroughly on her, and I think that's the way that he liked it. And I think he's wrong about that. I think the the, the movie would play better if the joke was maybe four percent less on her. But then again, Tom Hanks comes across kind of mean to Meg Ryan, to cute little Meg Ryan. Yeah, but you don't feel as bad about it because when it's over, like... Because Meg Ryan can just chew her lip and tear up and sell it to you like, I'm so glad it was you. Yeah, and then he gets to feel bad and good and everybody wins. Yeah. Hmm. I still like this movie better than You've Got Mail. For one thing, it's a hundred I do too. I like it better than You've Got Mail. I, we're only arguing about what keeps it from being like an all-time great. An all-timer. Yeah. And in terms of Christmas movies, if there wasn't the other Jimmy Stewart movie, it would, like you said earlier, I think it suffers from that too, in terms of it being just in the pantheon of Christmas classics. Yeah. 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 Well, it's also not specifically a Christmas movie. Like, there's nothing... <laughs> Christmas doesn't save the day. Die Hard is not a specifically Christmas movie. You're going to tell me that that's not a Christmas movie? Yes, no, I will. I'm not. Man, all the all these <laughs> frat boys online. My favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. I had a Die Hard Christmas party once years ago. You Dude, had one? I did. Dude, Nathan, yeah. <laughs> you came over like on Christmas Eve and made me watch Die Hard once. <laughs> Jake, there was, a, there was a third party involved in that. I won't say his, his name on the podcast, his or her name, but... Uh, it wasn't I, me. I no, it was not Ben. It, no. it wasn't anyone that anyone on our podcast would know. But just in case, I blame that person, for, and that person is the kind of person that may well have said, "Die Hard, my favorite Christmas movie," <laughs> followed by Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right up there with "It's a Wonderful Life." <laughs> Uh, Go stand outside in the cold and <laughs> holding a popsicle in your nakedness, you frat boy person. <laughs> I'm imagining like one of those hazing ritual. That's right, folks. Holding a popsicle <laughs> in your nakedness. Uh, <laughs> that's what I said. I don't know what it means either. Don't think too hard about it. All right. Th- things that we should think hard about, though, are shop around the corner. So, Mr. Matichek tries to commit suicide, Peppy saves him, we get the calf facing, and then Stuart reunites with Matichek. Yeah, he's in charge. We've never seen such a prosperous shop. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just like a bunch of, one by one, a bunch of good things happen to likable people. And I think that's a underrated virtue of great storytelling because it's like the ending of Christmas Carol is really good. The end sounds so dumb when I say that's an underrated virtue of good storytelling. A, that's a silly way to put it. B, of course, people like to see happy endings, but I mean, long drawn out happy endings, happy endings where we spend a lot of time on 
each person that we've had some investment and has a good thing happen to them and you get to be happy for them. Right. Pirovich is going to get a big bonus because Matt And the villains is- are each going to get their individual comeuppances. So, right. Mrs. Matichek is going to get it. Vardish. 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 Vardish is going to get thrown out <laughs> onto the street, you know. After Jimmy Stewart dictates a letter. You know, uh, <laughs> take a letter. <laughs> something, something in a rat. <laughs> uh, he better not come back here till he gets a pop on the nose. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Sincerely, Alfred Krolik, manager at Matichek. Yeah. And then... Pirovich is going to get his bonus. Rudy's going to get promoted and uh, get to tell off. Or not, not Rudy. Peppy. Peppy's Peppy. going to get promoted. Rudy's going to get a, We're going to meet him and then he's going to get a job. Right. We're going to feel and a little. And then he's going to get a bonus too. Right. And then he's going to get to go to dinner with Mr. Matichak and that get whole. That three course meal of all it, the things. That scene is so sweet where Mr. Matichak uh, wants to, just wants to go to dinner with somebody and Doesn't everybody. Doesn't want to be alone on Christmas. Right. He's broken up with Mr. Matt, Mrs. Matichak and. Ah, man, it's it's really sweet. And then you're just like, somebody go to dinner with him. It actually genu- generates a little bit of real suspense. Like, oh, yeah, boy. We're going to run everybody out. Yeah. Oh, I know. Pirovich will be the one. Yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Pirovich just wants to be with his family. Okay. It'll be Rudy. Or uh, it'll be uh, Pepe. Nope. <laughs> Mr. Matichek has spared that fate. <laughs> dinner with Pepe does not sound like fun. No. <laughs> No, it's Rudy. It's like, gee, Mr. Matichekko, that sounds swell. So, <laughs> I don't think he actually says that, but he, he, <laughs> he might, as well. might as well. Have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got one of those hats like you should talk that way. Oh, man, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Da, 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 da. Oh, and we have that cute little scene where we don't, I don't want to I want to throw, throw a few. Well, uh, or, yeah, go ahead. just with that scene, we clear all the decks by doing that yes. too. We put a button on every single character. Yeah. We clear the deck. There is nothing left of this story to tell, but how it resolves with Kralich. Miss Clara? What's her name? Clara. Yeah. Clara something. Something. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is the movie's already told us what it's going to do. We already know exactly what it's going to do. The only thing we're waiting it to do is to see how far Jimmy Stewart wants to push his joke. We we know exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it's one of the best, you know, it is the best sequence of the movie and it's the sequence that it's been building up to and you love every minute of it. But I think my favorite joke of the whole movie is when he completes the line and then Victor Hugo. Yeah, 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 that's... <laughs> it's like, because you're waiting for that. You're, you're actually waiting for that to be the payoff. If he's going to start quoting or he's going to finish the quote and reveal that it's him. Right, right, but, right, right, right. Like, and so it's <laughs> no, it all set up that way. And it's a joke on the audience as well as on her. And yeah. that to me is like, that's, I think that's my favorite joke of the whole movie mm-hmm. for that reason. It's like, it's it on all joke. of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then he... Just keeps playing it up for me. He's a plagiarist. Yeah. Also, I met him and he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks we, he can live on your salary. If I had to take a young man with hair versus a solid citizen, I'd pick Matthias Popkin. <laughs> I mean, again, to defend Margaret Sullivan, he so thoroughly takes her to the woodshed there. I mean, it is so mean. If she was even 2% more likable, you might actually feel bad for what he does there. But you don't. But, but I, I, I submit that if you felt a little more bad for her, it'd all feel better in the end. 
Hmm. Which is actually true of Philadelphia's story. You end up it is true you end of Philadelphia's up feeling... story. It's also true of that other movie. You've got mail. Yeah, that's true. You part of feeling good about them in the end is feeling bad for Meg Ryan. Yeah. No, it's and it's true. That's true. So it, it plays like she just gets what she deserves. And then for some reason, she also gets Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Who has to prove that he's not bullied right. after all. Right. <laughs> it It's sweet. It works. It's good. I'm not trying to say anything like that. I'm only saying it's just a little short of perfection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I do like, and it's weird to me because I don't usually like this sort of thing. I usually think it feels ham-fisted, but they, they fill in some details about their relationship and they kind of explain, you know, and she says... I liked you from the from from the mm-hmm. get go, but I decided to treat you like a dog because I'd seen a play. Because I'd seen yeah. a play, yeah. I like all that stuff. Instead of licking my hand, you barked. I like it. I like it. Kind of retconning her, showing. Oh, you know what? Actually, there is some sweetness and naivete to you. You just hide it. Yeah, I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of that Emma quality to her early on, where where we see how much or even the Shelley Long from Cheer Diane from Cheers quality of just she's so in her own world that she actually thinks this is how men work. She's she's mm-hmm. read a couple novels and now she's she's ready to it's obviously the joke of the movie, but the joke takes so long to develop and Yeah, if that had been speaking of construction, if that had been set up. Yeah. I, I, I you think it was or? Well, no, here, here's what I actually wonder, Jake. I wonder if next year you happen to watch this again, if you'll think it was a better movie because you know the end of the movie and you're watching it with the but end in mind. I did know the movie, end of the movie. Oh, sorry. I don't remember. You saw this before? I saw you've got mail. I'd seen, well, I knew the story. Well, well, I knew all the things. Yeah, but what I mean is whatever sweetness, maybe we felt it more than you did or maybe I did, but whatever sweetness you find in the character at the end of the movie, you watch it with you watch it with with that in mind at the beginning. I wonder if that influences your read of the movie. Maybe I'm not one. I have my doubts. Two, that would not have been a part of the designer construction. This would have been designed to be a one shot. You see it and you're done. Yeah, true. Without repeat viewings in mind. So if that, even if that is the case, it's a failure still of design and construction. Yeah, I mean, but. I- but I think I was going to say, I was going to, well, if, if there had been w- one way to lay in some of that, I naively think this is how you win men or whatever. But then again, that could have, that would have robbed the tension. So I, I don't know. Okay. I think, I think your conceit is actually correct, Ben. I think, I, I think the movie plays better on the second viewing, having seen it a number of times, like sort of knowing it's one of those movies that's more about how than what. And yeah. so knowing a little bit more, I mean, obviously, you know, the broad strokes from you've got mail and stuff, but knowing who everyone is, it's, it works better. I would say, hmm. I don't know if there's anything else we need to talk about. We skipped past one of my favorite scenes, which is where Pirovich gets a little moment to shine where he, he talks her into getting a wallet <laughs> for Jimmy Stewart, yeah. which is of, wonderful, which is wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, and again, what a generous movie. We have this character actor. No and one... you get your wallet. Yeah. Karalik, you get the wallet. You get the wallet, yeah. I mean, that guy's not a star. He's been, he's just taking so much screen time from Jimmy Stewart where he's just getting to do his own thing. It's the same with Pepe saving the day. It's like, it's so nice in these old movies that 
they did not feel the need to, well, let's just have Tom Cruise do everything. He's Tom Cruise. I really admire that about that school of storytelling and the, the whole studio school of, of how the power was divvied up between the stars and everything. Jimmy Stewart doesn't have to do everything and we can just spend some time on this random character actor gets, gets a chance to shine. Really, everybody gets a chance to shine except for Flora and Fauna. You know, they, don't, <laughs> they don't get much. But I also would say there is, that is the one place where this movie compares favorably to It's a Wonderful Life, makes It's a Wonderful Life look bad. Obviously, It's a Wonderful Life, far superior movie in every way. But It's a Wonderful Life, Frank Capra really isn't interested in anyone in the town except for insofar as they affect George Bailey's mm-hmm. journey to the extent that we're never going to clean up the thing with the school teacher and there's going to be these dangling threads and things that I've always found a little frustrating. I mean, in the most minor way about a genuine masterpiece of awesomeness. that's like my yeah, favorite Yeah, you can't have that movie not be driven by the story of George Bailey and however the whole point is the intersection of George Bailey's life with all these other people. So yeah. it gives, I mean, Bert and Ernie are still characters and Nick Martini is still a character and or but, Mr. Martini and Nick are right. actually two different characters, but right. S- speaking of which, Mr. Mr. Gower, Mr. Martini is in this movie. He's the waiter, which I, th- I thought I was correct. And I just confirmed. Nice. <clears throat> and then the detective is the bank examiner. Yeah. The, yeah. Right. That one's pretty easy. He's very distinctive. <laughs> yeah. I called him Mr. Bank Examiner when he came on screen. <laughs> yeah. You can't really. And, and there's actually an extra or two or not, maybe not an extra, but just an from the, from the, there's at least one, one guy from the bank rush and at the end who is there on Christmas Eve in the store. Okay. That I cool. recognized. Yes, cool. I remember. If you've seeing. seen It's a Wonderful Life enough times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, to your point, Jake, I wouldn't make Wonderful Life any other way. Obviously, it has to be about George Bailey. But one of the fascinating things about It's a Wonderful Life as someone who has seen it a million times and who has spent so much time living in that world is you do end up kind of frustrated like, wow, why doesn't heaven intervene to help Violet? Uh, why does Jimmy Stewart get... What about the teacher that he punched and they're... It's just like... Because all the prayers at the beginning. Yeah, I know. Nobody's praying. Nobody praying for Violet, I guess. But <laughs> I really think they could and should. <laughs> Seems like a bit of a trollop. Maybe that's just me. But there's somebody... She only wears that dress when she doesn't care how she looks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's also true. <laughs> this whole thing... But anyway, this movie is just an example of a movie that's very generous with its characters and wants to give them all a happy ending and wants to make sure that every all the threads are tied off. And I think you could say that Ernst Lubitsch has more respect for the common man than Frank Capra actually has for the con- Frank Frank Capra. I don't know that was a- was actually very interested in the common man except for as a type and as a kind of mm-hmm. as color. This this movie is actually not. These characters aren't just color. They all. They all have a bit of a life and some some dimensionality. Yeah. So, which is one of the things that is sweet and fun and worth going back to about, maybe the main thing that's sweet and fun and worth going back to about Chop Around the Corner. If it was just the Stuart and Sullivan stuff, no, I don't think I'd go back to it. But yeah, I like living in the shop. I like yep. hanging out with Pirovich. Yeah, the and, shop mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> and it just does have that hardcore... I guess I'll use the snobby word again, Anamoya, that that just like, oh man, wouldn't it be fun to 
be in a shop in this era and Christmas coming and yep. snow on the streets of Budapest. Well, I, I still think about, I've thought about it multiple times since I watched it. When it, it just sort of like running it over in my mind, the idea that, oh yeah, you wait until Christmas Eve mm-hmm. and you go into the store, the one shop and you, everybody's there and you get your presents and you take them home and that's your Christmas shopping. Yeah. And it's like, and I'm running through, it's like, I know people who got their Christmas shopping done in September and mm-hmm. I've had mine done for a while mm-hmm. and there are still people that do Christmas Eve stuff and there's always last minute things, but also it's, there's something simpler and nicer about that actually. Yeah. It's like we didn't live life feeling all these pressures until we had them and then we did the things. Yeah, it's it's, it's sweet. It's also a weirdly, here's another comparison to Capra where, where I think I prefer this movie's point of view. Not that, I mean, it's, we're just talking for fun here. I love Capra and It's a Wonderful Life is one of maybe my favorite movie. But this movie is very much doesn't have a chip on its shoulder about capitalism, which I love. Like, <laughs> yay, we made a bunch of money for the boss. Like, that's, that's the big plot thing at the end. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> $9,000. One day. $9,000 in one day. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> the, the movie doesn't even think about like all the, you know, imagine if modern Twitter had its claws out for this movie. Like if they released it now with no commentary, with no ironic subtext or anything like that. If you just tried to tell this story, the amount of privilege that people would accuse it of and all this kind of thing. And Jimmy Stewart probably should have just burned down the shop so that Mr. Matichek could learn not to take advantage of poor hung- Hungarians. Hungarians, mm-hmm. yeah. Hungarians like that. But, well, anything else you guys want to highlight about this movie or anything worth else worth saying? I really don't understand why it was set in Budapest. but I think that's because that's the world that Ernst Lubitsch comes out of and longs for. Does it especially feel like Budapest? No. It <laughs> feels like... It just feels like small town. Hollywood, Hollywood small town. Yeah, yeah, America. Anyhow, I don't know. Yeah, the just fact a, that Jimmy Stewart's Mr. Krolik and... <laughs> so yeah. silly. Matichek and... Really, it's just Pirovich that has any kind of European right. feeling to him. Well, and, and everything's so small scale that the location never becomes a character. Yeah. That's a... That's a and it's a wonderful life. The town is practically its own character. Mm. You have a sense of the town as a town. Right. This is movie's just the shop. It's just the shop. Yeah. So, yep. you're setting it in Budapest, but what does that do for it? Almost, I mean, nothing. I mean, it's right there in the title. It's, it is anywhere. It's, it's the shop around the corner. Yeah. We've all got a shop yep. around the yeah. corner. Yeah. It just makes me wonder why he felt it was important to give us a title and let us know that we were in Budapest for some reason. Have panga instead of dollars. Yeah. Why are we why are we doing that? Yeah, and there again, I think that's just the the director bringing his own sensibility. I, I I think he just has a nostalgia and a longing for like like when he thinks about small town America and all that world, he doesn't think about small town America. He thinks about little European villages of the type that I mean, I know it's supposed to be not a village, but it's just got that feeling that I think mm-hmm. a man born in eighteen ninety two in Europe. Mm-hmm. would bring to like this is his idea of the nostalgic thing that he can't go back to and also in 1940 
you have to imagine he's thinking, oh, crap, I'm n- that, that world has just been burned to the ground. Or is um, just being. Yeah, or is about to be. So, yeah, I think this movie has all of that kind of hanging over it. It's, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit part of what makes it special. I mean, it's part of what makes Casablanca special and part of what makes all these movies special is that you have immigrants telling American stories. This one just doesn't happen to be set in America. But, yeah. Well, I feel like I like this movie better than the podcast maybe made it sound like I did because I really like this movie. It's, I really like it a lot too. Once you start pulling on the Margaret Sullivan thread, it's easy to expose a, little, a lot of weaknesses or talk about how it might be better mm-hmm. or, or things like that. But, but it's pretty great. It's a great movie. It's enjoyable and fun. And if you've thoroughly worn out, it's a wonderful life and need to take a little break, then you can get your Jimmy Stewart Christmas fix this way. And yeah. It's a great little Christmas rom-com. It's a lot better than going to, I mean, what else are you going to go to? It's better than going to, you've got mail or Mm -hmm. for goodness sake, don't ever go back to love actually. Oh no, no, I hate that movie so much. Such a horrible movie. It's, I mean, evil? Is that too strong a word? I don't know that it is too strong. I think that guy, Richard Curtis, I think he's just evil. I think it's evil. Yeah. It's a disgusting movie. Yeah. You it's know. perverse in every possible, every, every possible way. It's perverse and it hates you and it hates its characters. And it hates rom-coms, I think. Like, yeah, it, oh, it, it hates romance. Yeah. <laughs> Real romance. It hates... It hates love, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, it actually does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nobody ever has to see that movie again. What a horrible, trashy movie. Man. Uh, if people do like old black and white things and they want to watch a sweet little Christmas movie, I might recommend a movie called Holiday Affair, which I believe is currently on HBO Max. It stars Robert Mitchum and Janet Lee, And uh, much more so than this movie, it is the most, by today's standards, sexist uh we got done watching it and Meredith said something like, well, he sure showed that woman or something. So, it's one of those. I mean, that's not like McClintic level or anything like that. It's not quite John Wayne territory, but it's, 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 it's pretty refreshingly non-peace. And it's a sweet little holiday romantic. Kind of. You're going to say Holiday Inn. Yeah. Hol- well, also Holiday Inn and White Christmas. But I assume people already know about those. Yeah, those like are the ones they movies. go to. Yeah. They pick White Christmas. Maybe they don't know about Holiday Inn. But- right. Yeah, if you only know White Christmas, then you should watch Holiday Inn because it is far superior, although not as sentimental or I was going to say, not as sentimental. If you want to get the warm fuzzies and cry at the end, you want to watch White Christmas. But if you want to watch a better movie, you watch Holiday Inn. Yeah, actually, White Christmas might be the one that I prefer just because it's more holiday-ish and sweeter. More Christmas-ish. Right. And I do like Danny Kaye quite a bit. But you really can't argue with Fred Astaire, who's in Holiday Inn and rules in that movie and does the firecracker dance which is just amazing where he has to time all his dancing with these little firecracker popper things that he's throwing on the ground and i still uh, haven't ever seen that one it is oh it's worth it it is i mean just as a showcase for the talents of fred astaire and bing crosby it's it's pretty incredible cool the yeah the the astaire dance is is my favorite dance of his and that's saying something i mean it's right up there with the shadow number and swing time mm-hmm. and some of those kind of one of those those gimmicky ones where he's really showing off it's it's pretty awesome but yeah the, yeah the only reason i said holiday affair is because i figured people probably wouldn't have heard of that one and 
So if you need something new, if you've exhausted your Jimmy Stewart's and your Holiday Inn and your White Christmas and you're not an elf fan and you've already watched your Grinches and your Scrooges, then uh, Holiday Fair is, is a sweet little, not, not a top tier classic, but it's pretty good and, and pretty fun for anyone who likes things that aren't entirely politically correct or woke because boy, is it not. And so that's my pitch for that. And I'll tell you what else I'd like to make a pitch for. Our Patron Choice Award winner for this week, who is named... Ooh, it's Ryan and Judith. Ryan and Judith? Yeah. What would you say about Ryan and Judith? Ryan and Judith are awesome because if they met as clerks in a Budapest store... They would just have a sweet romance and fall in love and get married. They wouldn't have to go through uh, being nasty to each other for months or whatever. Right? You disagree? I've, I mean, I was just trying to think whether what you were saying meant that, like, if it was sweet, would it therefore not be what happened to Jimmy Stewart and yeah. Kurt Sullivan? Yeah. It wouldn't make for good entertainment, in other words, but it would make probably for a better relationship. Yeah. I mean, Judith just has to test his resolve so she she could still be like just four percent nasty just to okay. see if he can push through i mean that's mm-hmm. and ryan you know. can four percent play a joke on her right just to show like i'm not bothered by yeah i, I can control handle you judith there's gotta have a little bit of that but uh, yeah yeah i think it'd mostly be pretty sweet straightforward cool yeah jake any thoughts on ryan and judith and their christmas spirit i'm for it I'm for it. All right. Jake's for Ryan. He's for Judith. He's for Christmas spirit. That's why he's the Christmas pastor. (laughs) 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 Uh, All right. Well, until next time, folks. Stay psychologically confused.